Some interesting news here. Google Pixel sales doubled thanks to budget Pixel 3a. Uh, not what I expected to see. I mean, I kind of thought it might be popular uh, with the price point and the focus being on these budget devices and, of course, the, the marketing plan because they were going after some heavy hitter devices on the web page, comparative stuff, and they had the, the, uh, the TV commercials and so on. But double, double the sales of the previous Pixel. And if you recall, Google came out and basically said, look, we're not happy with where the Pixel's at. They weren't happy with the sales volume of the previous version of Pixel, which sort of motivated this particular device and a different approach. Now, of course, they're still going to make that flagship stuff, that expensive stuff. But this 3A performance, to me, is an indication as far as where the marketplace is going and how much people are willing to spend and also where the where the the value exists and it's becoming increasingly clear that the value does not exist anywhere near the the $1000 price point let alone the $800 price point let alone the the $700 price point people want to be around that $500 ticket at least in North America for the time being other parts of the world maybe even a little bit lower now Google has some advantages in this department they have some some abilities here that other upstart manufacturers might not have, like in like a like a pocket full of cash. Willie do. Google's got money. Did you know that? No. Yeah, no, they're doing all right. Surprising. Yeah, I know. They're doing all right. So it's a search engine. <laughs> they got a certain thing to do with ads. They got algorithms, yeah. dude. Huh. I said I, I did I clip the mic there, Kirk? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't clip I didn't clip the My mic ears. there. I didn't clip the mic. Okay, so uh Google Pixel 3a drove the search giant's overall phone sales. This story coming via CNET. The CEO, Sundar, he's happy. Budget phone debuted in May. And they believe that that device in particular is responsible for this doubling of unit sales in the second quarter. And this came on the uh, on the sales, uh, what do they call it? The earnings call. Earn you know, they go on the phone call, they... Uh, they, they let people know, the investors know what's going on. And, of course, this is good news for Google. This is what they want. Now, here's the thing. It's not just the device, the value, the marketing, and so forth. And so forth. It's also the, the distribution model, which changed. So Google in the early days, I mean, even if you want to go back to, like, Nexus devices, if you want to go back to the, to the, the Google Play edition devices people don't remember this stuff but like it used to get us excited they had this uh, mindset that you would that the whole world would be willing to buy a phone directly from google on google's website that that would be the only distribution model and then that would be okay or maybe it was a fact-finding mission maybe they were okay with those original devices being uh, uh small market share because they wanted to just get that reference Google device out into the world. I don't really know what their motivations were at the time, but what it led to was low market penetration. And you would walk around with a Nexus device and the, the general public would be like, what is a Nexus device? I've never, I don't see this at the telco store. I don't hear about this thing on television. I don't see it in the pre-roll on the internet and so forth. It was just, it was a small time deal. And with the last generation of the Pixel, and of course, even more so with the Pixel 3a, Google started to say, okay, we're not going to be able to reinvent the wheel here. We're going to have to get this into some more traditional distribution centers, including the carriers. So 
the the Pixel phones now available, T-Mobile, Sprint, U.S. Cellular, Spectrum, Mobile. Uh, this all came, uh, Pichai said this, and of course, uh, Verizon, and still the Google Store. So availability playing a big role here, at least still in North America. There seems to be no way to get around this, that there's, there's still a segment of the public that wants to buy their smartphone in this fashion through T-Mobile, Sprint, Verizon, so forth. And maybe they still get some degree of incentive in order to do so. This is less of an issue in other markets where everything, for example, in India, they had the flash sales. It's just you go on to uh, Amazon in India or they Flipkart. have Flipkart. Yeah. And that's it. That's how people buy their phones. That's part of the cost structure. It's the reason why the MSRP is the most important price and not necessarily some subsidization. Of course, we talked about a, a different type of subsidization on yesterday's episode uh, in relationship to the Note, where Verizon was like, we're going to give you the Note 10 Pro for free if you buy a Note 10 Pro Plus. So they, 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 put, these, they, they put these marketing tactics in there in the way that you buy the phone. Originally, it was you pay it off over time, but they still got to play. They still got the name brand. People still got a lot of respect for companies like Verizon. Respect in the sense that they're like, that's my retailer. And the footprint. There's actual physical stores all over the place that they can walk into and look at the thing. Or maybe they have the app already because they monitor their data consumption. And, and then the app says, hey, you might want to upgrade or you have an upgrade or whatever it does. All these tactics that are in place that the rest of the globe kind of isn't really dealing with to the same degree that the North American market is. Going back to the original iPhone, which very few people, if anyone, owned outright. If you recall, AT&T exclusive all the way back to the original iPhone. So as it turns out, here in North America, you cannot ignore those retail streams if you want to have a successful device. Google figured that out with the 3A, and they had this perfect storm, this combination to double their sales figures. Now, it's important to note, those are still tiny sales figures in relationship to the rest of the market. It's funny to think of Google as an upstart, but when it comes to smartphones, they are. The Pixel brand is still relatively fresh, and yes, they have all these extra, they have this extra bank account. They have this, uh, these, these various distribution mediums at, at their, uh, at their uh, available to them that other manufacturers might not have. So they have advantages, but they're still new to the game. And a doubling of a small number is still kind of a small number in relationship to the whole marketplace. So I don't think they're happy with it. I think they're going to keep pushing here. But this, this little indication that going down to $399, although you can find the 3A for less now, that going down to $399 completely changes the game. This awareness of that now, I think, means that Google's going to keep pushing in this direction and have a budget offering and look to deliver value because it seems to be that value is now the driving force uh, for smartphone sales. We saw it with the iPhone XR sales figures that we talked about on a previous episode. We're seeing it now in the Pixel 3A department that the volume sellers are not going to be the top-tier devices anymore. That's over. The flagship for everyone era has ended. And for good reason. Because let me tell you something, Willie Do. You have uh, Pixel 3 right now. Mm -hmm. Right? Pixel 4 is about to come out. I'm going to tell you something. Your day-to-day, -day, your life, not going to be all that different on the A-series, on the 3A versus the mainstream. Day-to-day, mm -hmm. -day, you're going to be taking great photos. Mm -hmm. You're going to be on the Messenger apps. You're gonna be, you're gonna be dabbling. Your screen's gonna be okay. Mm -hmm. You're gonna live. Oh, so, yeah. so that that uh, cost reward ratio thing, it's all skewed right now. You, you, 
can, can we really suggest that people should spend double this to get how much performance back? How much improvement back? Should we really say, okay, uh, don't spend 400. You can find this for less. Now you might even find this for 300. Don't spend 300. Instead, I need you to spend 800. Like, is that really a valid recommendation for most people? No. Especially when carriers are giving it out with like a subsidized cost. You know, it could be like a hundred bucks or maybe even free. Even free? Yeah, I think um, Freedom Mobile's having like a, a deal. My friend just got a 3A for free. Really? Here in Canada? I think so. Wow, that's unbelievable. That's what he says. Oh, oh, you don't trust this guy, <laughs> apparently. Turns out. I mean, you know. We just discovered that Willie Do, whoever you are <laughs> who claims to have gotten this phone for free, Willie Doody, he doesn't, he, maybe he buys it, maybe he doesn't. So, uh, no, I, I take that back. You guys, you guys are great pals, you and Will. You don't know. <laughs> hey. Uh, so anyway, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Whatever. They're uh, three ninety nine. Smartphones, <laughs> smartphones getting cheaper. Smartphones getting better. Delivering more value for your money. You win. You win in this situation. Keep picking. Keep choosing the best value. And guess what? Smartphone manufacturers gonna have to give you more value if you keep choosing better value. That's the outcome. All right, next up, we got this story with, the, with Red, you know, the camera company turned smartphone company. Uh, the Red founder blames manufacturer for phone troubles while testing its new device. This is via Gizmodo. Uh, a disaster, obviously. Obviously, this phone, the original uh, Red device, Hydrogen One, a disaster. I looked at it. I ordered it. Uh, I had it on the show more than once, actually. I ordered the special fancy edition as well. The whole premise of the phone was that it was going to have these modular aspects to it. You would be able to slide these modules on there and get more versatility out of the device, turn it into uh, some, some, kind of, some kind of version of RED's camera setups where you would be able to put lenses and, and cameras and different things onto the device via this pin setup on the rear. And then nothing came out for it. None of these modules came out. The phone was delayed. It wasn't very good, right? The, the, they, they, they teased the idea of this 3D display, which then was kind of subpar. And other elements of the device were subpar. The design was cool and ambitious in a sense that it was different from what was out there. It really felt like a tool. The thing was solid. How much and was it again? Don't, don't remind oh. me, Will. Don't remind me. I don't know. It was over a grand. I may, maybe the version I got could have been like 1500 or something original list. I don't remember. 1600 for the titanium. Oh. 1600 bucks, man. It was uh the, the you know what the worst part of it was? The camera wasn't good. Yeah. The camera was getting crushed by your typical flagship phone and this is they got the red badge on there. And these guys have the the DNA in cinema Hollywood movies. And now you put your badge on a phone that's getting crushed in the camera department. Well, anyhow, it turns out, according to the founder, and for the record, I should get this out of the way. Like, I was critical of the device. I'm, I'm critical right now of the device. But I still appreciate the ambition of it to do, to do something different in a marketplace that is, like, doing a lot of the same. And from a brand without a history of it going after maybe the most difficult marketplace to compete in, where, where the biggest companies in the world are what you're up against. 
and where the technologies that you're hoping to harness are incredibly difficult to work with, like making a smartphone is hard. So I, I really appreciate the ambition of going after it. But what we've discovered here is that this is incredibly hard to do and hard to do well. And that when you go to, uh, again, according to the, to the CEO here, when you go to some OEM, is that ODM, when you go to some ODM in China, original, what does ODM stand for? Original design manufacturer. Original design manufacturer. Apparently Foxconn was working on it as well. And, and he posted all this. He said, these are his words. When you go to some ODM in China, you don't necessarily get what you think you're going to get. He, he claims, at least according to him, that they just couldn't get the quality that they were looking for. They couldn't get their original designs made to the caliber that was sufficient to actually deliver it to customers. And they've tried their best to like, to, uh, to tell customers, hey, we're going to take care of you in the future. And the reason that's important is because they're now announcing their next device, which I, I mean, look, people are upset about it. Rightfully so. Especially if you bought one of these, you're like, what, what the heck, what's in it for me? Why are you doing another device? You didn't even finish the first one. You didn't even get these, these modules never came out. And that was the premise of the original device. And now you're, you're, you're going to do another one. Uh, I'm critical of that too, but I really don't see a different path, right? Because the pace with which, and I've seen this with other smartphone brands, upstarts, kickstarters, things like this, the pace at which smartphone progression takes place, you can't be getting people to buy modules for a device on old hardware from two years ago. Like, I don't even remember, it didn't even have a 845 in it, I don't think. It had an old Snapdragon in it when I got it. And that's the problem. That's the difference. Is that the smartphone marketplace, the pace of it is completely different from the camera marketplace and the players that are involved in it. And so in order to be considered premium at all, in order to derive that premium price tag, you have to match the pace because you've got to constantly have that hot new chip, constantly have those hot new specs. And so for them to go now and put all their resources into actually delivering those modules for that Gen 1 is stupid. It would be pointless. So even if you're upset and you're like, they didn't deliver it to me, hey, maybe you don't trust that they can do it this time around. That's fair. But don't ask them to keep working on that thing when the real problem is with the device as it exists today. That that device is not worth continuing to maintain. you got to let it go. you got to kill it. Kill it and start over. So apparently what they're going to do is they're going to bring this stuff in-house. They make their cameras, actually. They build their cameras to a certain degree, a certain amount of the assembly, whatever takes place in the U.S. Locally, domestically, they can keep an eye on it. It can meet their criteria. So they're going to have to move away from this uh, ODM structure, change their business structure to, to put the attention necessary to deliver with the next version what they had kind of uh, thought they were going to be able to deliver with the first version. Moral of the story here, this is uh, uh, making things Making things in general is hard. Making phones is harder than making things. It's about the hardest thing you can make and be competitive with. And it's an incredibly discerning customer. And for everybody who invested in this thing and got delivered what was delivered and were unhappy with it, it's going to be tough to, to turn that around now. It's a very discerning, discerning customer in a smartphone department. But... Red has 
They have a reputation. They did it with cameras. They disrupted the entire industry with cameras. I don't think it's impossible, and I'm actually excited to see what they do next. I know that sounds crazy to say. It doesn't take away anything. It doesn't mean the previous one is a failure. It doesn't mean I'm recommending it. I promise you I am not. But I appreciate the ambition. I find it to be exciting. It makes my job entertaining and fun to do, to see other players, different approaches, different insight, and basically to see smartphones with different purposes, different focus. We'll see if this one can be that. Got to have the modules out the gate, in my opinion. If they do this next version, modules out the gate. No waiting. Show me the camera module. Show me why you got that badge on there. You understand? That's a message from me to Red. There will be another version. Twitter is doing well, Will. Did you know that? Did you expect that? You a big Twitter guy? I dabble. You're a dabbler. Mm -hmm. I always thought of you as a dabbler in general. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so uh, for, for a long time, Twitter couldn't make a dime. They couldn't make a dollar. Uh, it, was, it was tough going. Uh, restructuring. Jack Dorsey. He's out. He's in. Uh, Got to manage it. How are we going to make money? We're going to do some ads. Okay, the usual story. Startup story. Well... How are we going to get people? How are we going to keep people on the platform? How are we going to get people engaged? What about those daily actives that everybody on social media cares about? Well, daily actives. Mm. That's what we care about. I'll later. Are you a daily active? Stay daily. Stay active. Mm -hmm. Also, go outdoors every so often. Right, Will? Yeah. Messy. Yeah, it's a body break ad. Uh, what was his name? We're going old school. You don't know about this. No. Really? I thought it was Jake. Is that different? Body by Jake? Who's Jake? Yeah. Hal Johnson. Johnson. It was Hal Johnson. This Canadian television. OG status. You don't know about this, which is fine. They try to tell the kids to go exercise. It was a great, great message. Body break. We grew up with it. Great. Anyway. I mean, Drake probably knows about body break. He grew up over here. So there you go. Twitter's doing well. They, uh, they're, they're, they have a net income of $1.12 billion or $1.43 a, a share compared with $100 million a year earlier. You, you see that, Will? Listen to that. You got those figures? $1.12 billion compared with $100 million a year earlier. Mm. That, that, I mean, I'm no mathematician. I mean, it ain't no beautiful mind. I mean, it ain't no goodwill hunting. I mean, it ain't no rain man. Yeah, you didn't think I had another one. Oh, that's a crunchy. No, that was yeah, you oh, didn't think it. Oh, okay. Damn. I got the uh, got a little caffeine today, so apologize for that. Anyway. So there's a multiplication effect happening over at Twitter, and uh, what's it because of? Oh, I don't know. Probably because they're selling more ads, and probably because they got a lot of you know active users going on. Uh, apparently, they've been posting a monthly active user count. Uh, oh, up until now, they were they were point uh, they had a active user count that was less than healthy trajectory. So it was going down for a while. People were actually moving off the platform from a daily perspective. But that changed. So it increased by 5 million this, this quarter. Analysts had been modeling an increase of 3 million, uh, a 3 million growth. They got a 5 million growth. And the gains brought Twitter's total monetizable daily active users to 139 million, up from 134. 
which is also up from 122 million a year earlier. So this is how they break it down. It's not even a daily active user anymore. They call it they call it a daily active monetizable user. So they have to be capable of showing that user an ad. I don't know what the difference is there. Maybe miners don't see ads. Maybe people in certain regions don't see ads. For whatever reason, I guess some are monetizable, others are not. But the reason the stock market loves this idea of a monetizable daily active user is because that user represents potential revenue. So to have 139 million daily revenue sources is significant, and especially if it's scaling up on a spectrum. I'll go out of my way and just say I like Twitter. I'll just go out of my way to say that. Compared to other social media, there's something about it that I like. I, it's, it, it's, um, it's a lot of different things for different people. You want to use Twitter as a news source? You want to sort of curate your own news list on Twitter? Go for it. You can use it like that. You want to use it as a social me uh, medium? Use it for that. You want to use it for as an instant messenger, which is vetted, especially for me. You get the check mark beside the name, Will. It means you can... Uh, you know you're talking to me. It's not some email address. Like, I should say, there's all kinds of imposters out there pretending to be me. Like, uh, they go to companies, and I've never actually, I don't know if I talked about this before. They go to companies, try to scam people, mm -hmm. uh, claiming to be me. Well, one thing Twitter does well is, like, you know you're talking to me. If you're talking via DM to my handle with the check mark and everything else, it's like a, a, a authority on the matter. So tw Twitter does some cool things. So like com from a communication perspective, it really feels like a utility to me in a way that other social media isn't. Uh, Instagram is less like that for me. Facebook, obviously, less like that for me. YouTube represents something different. But uh, tw Twitter's a thing that I have actively used for a long time now. So I can see this. Now, granted, they weren't doing so well with the casual users for a while. And that seems to be changing, Will. People are picking it up. What do you think? What's the reason? Um, Go on, Will. Anytime now. What do you got? Yeah, I have no idea. Oh, wow. Okay. Sure. So you don't think it's anything special that they've done? How recent is the moments? Moments? Uh, I mean, a couple years. Kirk's a big moments guy. Daily use. Daily, are you monetizable? He's heavily monetizable. He's clicking, clicking around, clicking ads. Uh, well, yeah, I think as a news, I think more people are starting to see it as a news source. That's for sure. And also, what I think is, since internet, the internet and its relationship with breaking news, there's certain circumstances you can't... Like, remember the Kawhi stuff when he was like, Kawhi Watch? Where else could you follow that? If it's happening in real time, I think people have finally made the connection... If you, if you need to find some exclusive stuff, the moment something is happening, see what people are saying, possibly get access to people who are nearby, Twitter's the way to do it. You know, there's no other social media that I would use to achieve something like that. So you can see tr uh, trending kind of does that. You can see which hashtag people are talking about. And it does so in a way where you don't feel exposed on a personal, like it kind of feels at a distance still. Like, you can just kind of lurk around Twitter in a way that, that, I don't know, seems weird on Facebook. Like, the origin of Facebook was this tight-knit social group, whereas Twitter was the bigger internet, it seemed. You could tweet at anyone without necessarily being approved to do so. 
although there are, of course, uh, locked accounts or private accounts. But for the most part, it feels like the conversation about the open web happens on Twitter. And that's great for them because I think I think that's what the, what you can align the growth with. And and then therefore it's 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 how you end up showing people ads. It's how you end up getting these revenue figures. Now, the profit figures are not exactly where they want, but the revenue is the first step towards the profit. And so therefore that's where they're at. Uh, the revenue being eight hundred and forty one million dollars versus eight. 29.1, which was expected. So you know what this does to the stock market. It goes up. Twitter's healthy. Twitter is healthier than you thought. And I'm happy about that. So when it comes to ads, is it just on your feed when you're just scrolling? Yeah, promoted, promoted like tweets. Sponsored yeah, and stuff. they also started to sell some ads, I believe, against video as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I think I've seen yeah. that. And there's also sponsored hashtags. Oh, is there? Yeah, there's sponsored hashtags around like movie launches and things like this. They've got a lot of, a lot of ad products available. They've diversified those offerings. And I mean, I feel like I, I think uh, Dorsey is locked and loaded. He's locked in. Remember, he was doing all that promo, traveling around all those podcasts. Mm. He's like, we're listening. We're doing it. We're moving our, our workforce around. We're not all going to just be in San Francisco. Like, he seems locked and loaded. Like, he's engaged. Mm. He's ready to go. So, open invite, Jack Dorsey. We have a great chair over there. You can come tell me all about it if you want. Uh, you're not watching this, but Oracle says that China's Internet is designed more like an intranet, not an internet. So it's completely, apparently completely different from the way that the Internet operates everywhere else in the world. This is coming via ZDNet. The structure of the Chinese Internet is unlike any other country being similar to a gigantic intranet like a corporation might have an internal network. According to research published by Oracle last week. So there are no, there are very few connection points to the global internet. And almost everything you're doing is a one to one happening within the local, going from China to China. It doesn't like, it's not bouncing off some server somewhere else. Instead, you've got this, these, these handful of pipelines connecting the Chinese internet to the rest of the world, but almost everything domestic stays domestic, unlike. A lot of other countries so they've actually got a cool little i guess you could call it an info infograph if you scroll down maybe even to the to the next one down there willie do right there which showcases some different countries and and sort of how their internet is mapped and how it reaches out to uh, other places so they, they they cite an example here of if you you might be up you might be looking up uh something uh, that's in your local town the example they give is you're looking for something within a small Italian town, a local restaurant, let's say. And then your connection, in order to feed back the information you're looking for, might travel to France, Germany. It bounces around before getting back to you with the thing that's happening locally. In China, if you were looking on China's internet for a restaurant in China, guess where that information is going to stay? China. In China. Now... You might be wondering, why would you engineer something like this? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. You've got the, the, uh, the, great, the great wall. Is that what they got? The great firewall is what they call it, uh -huh. right? The great firewall so that they can kind of control the internet to a greater degree. Now, there's two ways to look at this. So there's the way of which is like, well, people, are being, people aren't getting access to stuff they may want to get access to. Yeah, but through this control... 
you're able to block certain things and, and stop people like Google, for example. There's no Google, something like that. But then on the flip side, from a security perspective, there is nothing, there is no potential for penetration from, from out, potential attacks from the outside. This thing is fortified. They got so much control over it that they're less susceptible. Now, the other thing to mention is all the equipment within the network is also domestic. There's no foreign, you know how there's all this beef over uh, Huawei uh, having access to the American market on the telco side from like the, the towers and whatnot? In their network, it's all domestic. It's all their own uh, independent telcos. Now, of course, it's a totally different political system over there. And so there's, there's, this is an easier thing to implement in a political system like that. But on this graph here, you can see how the different countries rate in terms of uh, sort of how, how direct or how controlled or how domestic their connectivity with the Internet happens to be. Now, the other thing that was, is being suggested via this article is that if you wanted to shut off the outside Internet but still have an effectively working domestic internet, you would run it like this, right? If 100% of searches in China, ping in China, just hit something in China, you could turn off the outside internet and still have people have a functional internet domestically, whereas you couldn't do that anywhere else or, or anywhere else that, that has this distributed situation. So if, if Italy wanted to shut off France or not uh, deny access to some nation, let's say, because they thought it was a threat, a bunch of stuff would cease to function mm -hmm. correctly. But the intranet, intranet model over here, oh, the payment systems, all the things that rely on connectivity domestically would could operate just fine and it could cut the tube completely. Self-contained. Self-contained. So... Obviously, if you were trying to design a machine in which you would have ultimate control, this is how it would be designed. Yeah. So there's two ways to look at it, just like a lot of things in his life, two ways to look at, look at it, right? Control is good from a security perspective, mm -hmm. right? It, 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 it's fortified. But then also, too much control can be perceived as a bad thing because, hey, what you trying to sell me? Mm -hmm. What you trying to do here? Huh? You trying to, I don't have access? Why? What are you trying to hide me? What are you trying to hide from me? That's sneaky. It's two ways to look at it. But anyway, uh, this particular article, it seems like Oracle's kind of impressed because obviously they're a software firm and they're like, this is pretty. This? They're like, this is pretty impressive the way this went down because uh, it's exclusive to China and and uh, it's actually it's it's actually just a very sophisticated thing to try to approach. It's tough to do, and it's worthwhile for them. They uh, they've executed that thing. Um, Apple could show a new trend not seen since the Great Recession. Apple, it's uh, seems to be trending down a little bit here. This particular article on Seeking Alpha is looking specifically at the operating margin, Apple's operating margin, which they've been tracking. Obviously, there's data on this over a long period of time, and and they, uh, they, they seem, they, they, this particular site, this uh, financial uh, sort of, a, what do you call it, Well, stock, uh, stock advice type uh, website. Mm -hmm. uh, eventually, the, the, the guy's conclusion here is that you should, he thinks you should sell your Apple stock. Now. Uh, now. I believe that's the official line for now. Let's see what the, what the, what the line says exactly here. 
Apple has reported an operating margin decline in 13 of the last 14 quarters. There's a high probability that Apple will show another quarter of OPM decline as the tariffs hurt the customer's sentiments. Apple is facing significant challenges in the App Store, which is highly profitable revenue stream, and it is likely its OPM is likely to fall below 20% in June. I have a sell rating for the stock. So one of the things I didn't I didn't actually know this prior to the to reading this particular article. Apple, the way that they're I mean, I knew how their their app store revenue structure operated, but I didn't know the scale of it. And so the the biggest example in this particular article is in relationship to Netflix. So Netflix recently removed the app store as a valid payment option for paying for your monthly subscription. A lot of people who would sign up to Netflix, I mean, I would never sign up to Netflix this way. So that's part of the reason I didn't think about it. But a lot of people who would sign up to Netflix would just have the automatic payments coming through the app store. So they would download the app on the Apple app store and somehow sign up in such a fashion where they would be billed through their credit card credentials that were tied to the actual app store instead of putting the credit card credentials directly into Netflix's payment processor. Well, what this amounts to is Apple getting their portion, their margin of App Store revenue, which I believe is around 30%. Now, Netflix is not a small company, Will. Netflix, huge customer base and a huge monthly revenue stream. So what it used to represent for Apple, and this, this is the part that absolutely shocked me here. Let me just see if I can find the actual, actual piece. Importance of the App Store right here. Netflix grossed $853 million on the iOS App Store in 2018. That would directly give Apple $256 million in revenue. And this is the type of revenue, Will, that's just like set it and forget it. That's the Ronco revenue. It's really passive. That's the Ronco revenue. That's the rotisserie chicken revenue. You understand? That's the type you look for. Delicious. Yeah! It's spinning around. It's cooking in its own juices. Juicing it up. That's the type of revenue you're looking for. You just hit the button, you go take a break. You go sit in the couch, you put your feet up. You got the Ronco in the background. You just smell the flavor. You just start to smell it cooking. That's the type of revenue everybody wants. The services revenue, set it and forget it revenue. So this is just people having their credit cards connected to the apps. It, of course, Apple's going to have their own payment processing costs to a degree, but it ain't going to be 256 out of the 256 million they collected. Mm -hmm. That's just an Apple tax right there. That's just, hey, hit us with that big number. And so Netflix obviously is like, wait a sec. We're giving you guys 256 million out of our 853 million for doing what? For, do for just collecting the money? Jeez. Hey now. Hey now. That's what they said. They said, that ain't right. So Netflix demolished it. They, uh, they got rid of it. What was the official line on it? Uh, Netflix said, I mean, they just said, we're done with you. The removal of Netflix from the App Store would reduce Apple's margin by 12 basis points. So Netflix wants your credit card directly within the app. So does Spotify. And I believe Spotify is another big one on a similar scale. And Spotify actually has a class action or, or some uh, antitrust, sorry, an antitrust complaint against Apple's restrictions in the App Store. It's looking to process its own payments as well. And increasingly, as the 
successful apps and services that we pay the most money to as they increasingly rely on the app store processing less and less because they don't need necessarily those new introductions to the app to the same degree, they're going to say, hey, we're not happy with the amount of money that you're taking or we're going to just process the payments ourselves. And as that happens, this like super easy revenue stream, it shrinks, it evaporates for Apple and therefore their operating margin takes this big hit. And, and so, so the, 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 the concept here is that the glory days, the golden days, are, are gone. They're ending. That that easy money, that that Apple tax is evaporating, the ability to charge it. Mm. Much in the same way that, like, the music aspect got disrupted, where iTunes was, like, the, 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 the mega location to consume music. And then all of a sudden streaming was like, nah. And, and all of a sudden, it required a complete reworking, and Apple didn't want to let it go. And of course not, because they were, even in that case, I believe 30%. They're getting 30% of every single. So the App Store is a very similar model in that way to what iTunes previously was for music. So how would you get the Netflix app without an App Store? No, you would get, you would get the Netflix app, but then within the app, you'd put your credit card info, as opposed to starting a subscription via the app store, app store. yeah I, I get it it's okay. a different type of subscription right. and it's the same thing that spotify's talking about they say people should be allowed to download our app and then set up their payment credentials right. directly with us we uh, should be able that. to bill them directly yeah and that's that's precisely what the argument's about so that looks to be the direction things are going to go in i mean you can look at the charts here you can head to this website if you choose to but you what you will see is that operating margin decline consistently taking place. And of course, Apple, they have their very own projects attempting to uh, make their moves around, around this stuff. They, they've got, they're launching all these new services in an attempt, of course, to increase that operating margin. But it's gonna be tough to make up for these big chunks of money that they've, that they've uh, sort of become accustomed to receiving in exchange uh, for, for what people call the App Store Apple tax going on so anyhow anyhow this guy says it's a sell rating it's up to you i mean apple's still apple i suppose it depends on how long you're planning on holding that particular uh, investment for but uh, i think for this particular audience the tech the tech audience it's interesting to get a little insight into how that app store operates and how different it is what it means for where and how you choose to make your payments to your subscriptions mm -hmm. like if you just know that if you click that button to subscribe through the App Store, Apple just got 30% of your subscription fee. You gotta decide if you wanna send, send it that way or if you would prefer to send it to Spotify directly, yeah. in which case you would give them your credentials as a customer. Cut? So you're so Kirk's making the argument right now that Apple deserves a cut because it's on their platform. Because it's on their platform, the argument that Spotify is making is like, yeah, let's figure out what a fair cut is because it's not thirty percent. And of course, on the flip side, on the Android side, it doesn't exist. So <laughs> they're like, well, Google doesn't need it. Uh, access is is important, but you could make the argument in the flip side that it's Spotify and Netflix that make your phone good. Like, if you don't have any apps on your phone, how good is it? So, in a way, they add value to the hardware because now you have you want the new iPhone with the bigger screen because you have Netflix. 
or YouTube. Like if you can't watch video on your new smartphone, why do you need to buy the latest iPhone? It goes both ways. It's a relationship. So they got to sort it out and figure out what the right, what the right makeup is. Speaking of Netflix, uh, there's a $3 Netflix streaming plan. You guys didn't know that. You guys are like three bucks. I'll take it. Guess what? You can't have it because it's strictly for India. Why, why India get all the good deals, man? Well, I mean, I know why, but it's upsetting nonetheless. It is the cheapest Netflix subscription in the world, and it's available to India's 1.3 billion residents. And the way that it works is it's a mobile-only account, which will work on a single iPhone, iPad, or other mobile device. So it will work on a, on a dedicated mobile device, an Android phone, Android tablet, iPhone, iPad, and you can't have multiple devices connected. I think that's okay for the Indian market because... Uh, according to what I've read, the vast majority of content consumption in India happens on the mobile display. Uh, I think there's a percentage listed in this particular article how much of how much content is consumed on mobile data. Uh, 70% of people's mobile data is used watching video. Is that correct? Yeah, Netflix believes India is a natural fit. Indians spend 30% of their phone time and over 70% of their mobile data on entertainment. So that's the first screen in India is the mobile phone, not the TV. And so a lot of customers are going to be okay with this, that, hey, three bucks, I'll take it. And of course, as we all know, YouTube is heavy, heavy competitive in India. Biggest channel in the world, T-Series. People have tremendous free access to entertainment and content. So can, can, can Netflix really compete? with a $14 a month thing when I could just head to T-Series? I mean, I don't even know anything about T-Series because I'm not, I don't, I can't understand what, I, you know, I don't watch it. Obviously, I don't know what's going on, but it looks like a lot of content and people seem to like it because you don't have to scroll too far to see millions of views and 106 million subscribers. So look, there's a trailer, it looks like, with 7.4 million a day ago. And they also uploaded 17 videos in that amount of time. So... Netflix is going to have to bring the A-game to compete with the likes of this, which is free. Netflix got to bring the A-game to India. And that's what they're doing with the $3 thing. And this is what I've been saying with other uh, uh, companies in the case of Apple and so forth. You want to go there, you got to play there. Rules different. Mm -hmm. Rules are different there because it, it all comes down to one particular thing, Will, which is what's, what's, what's the income? How much money can people spend? We got to start there because mm -hmm. then everything's going to be coordinated with what's available. An average software developer in India makes $14,000 in U.S. dollars. You're not going to, what do you, you can't hit them with 14 a month. You can't hit them with 16 a month or whatever we're paying now. He ain't going to be a customer for very long. So the Netflix solution with the mobile plan actually comes out to $2.88. The video will be standard definition on that particular plan. They have other plans. The standard basic plan is seven bucks. And then you get onto the TV and laptop. And uh, Amazon themselves, they have crazy cheap prime video. $1.87 in India. It's just, it's just, it's not rocket science. It's pretty simple. You want to play the game, you play by the local rules. You want to you go to that team's stadium, they set the rules. You want to play in the hockey in the Olympics, you play on the Olympic rules, Olympic ice surface. You want to sell phones in India? You play by the Indian rules. 
you want to sell Netflix in India, you play by the Indian rules. This makes a lot of sense right here, even if it makes you jealous, Will, because I know you want $3 Netflix. I do, yeah. Now, let me ask you something. $3 Netflix, only on one device, does that bother you? Mm. Like, do you need a multi-device setup? Can I change it up? Yeah, but it's just one at a time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, That's okay. Totally fine. It's fine. So, Will says it's a deal. If you're in India, check it out. But maybe you guys can let me know, because you're local, let me know in the comments... Like, do you even feel a need for it, even at three bucks? Or do you feel like through the likes of T-Series and whatever else is available, you're satisfied? You got content for days. Why do you need Netflix? Does Netflix bring you international content that you feel you need to get? Like, I'm actually curious in this department. So if you're an Indian viewer, let me know in the comments. I'll pin a comment or something if uh, there's something insightful there. But like the T-Series stuff to me seems to indicate based on the view counts and subscriber counts and so forth, that like you're you're able to get a lot of the content you're looking for without paying for it, which uh, obviously is very cool if it's possible. And they have the whole library uh, on Netflix, right? No, Netflix Netflix is different regionally, so oh. the Netflix you see here won't be the one necessarily that they see in India or the U.S. for that matter. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 tailored for that for that particular oh. region. Well, I'm curious about their lineup then. Yeah, I'm I'm super curious about their I'm super curious I'm super curious about the lineup. Yeah. So we're, they're going to tell us. Well, we're, gonna, we're about to find out. Mm. We go to the source. Uh, in, Instagram influencers are sick after swimming in a turquoise lake that is actually a toxic dump. Kirk, you love these type of stories. You love these type of stories. These are right up your alley, dude. Uh, stay away from the Monte, Monte Neem Lake in Gal Galicia, Spain. Uh, this... this <laughs> Oh, man. What can you do? They see this lake, Will. They flock. They flock to the lake. They go, I'm about to get this Instagram post right now. I'm about to, hit, I'm about to get the likes right now. I'm about to go for a dip right now in the mm. toxic waste. Can you blame them? <laughs> they got to get these likes, Will. I don't know if they said that. No, they got to get these likes, Will. <laughs> they got to get them. You know. So uh, they, this thing started making the rounds on social media. People taking a dip. And so what do people do? They do what people do. They say, I got to get that one. Mm. I'm on my way. And uh, you got to get the photo. If you keep scrolling, keep scrolling down the page, you'll see the photo you got to get. And the one I expect from you when you visit. Keep scrolling. Not that one. Nope, not that one. Keep scrolling. There, that's the one. Oh, yeah. So that's the one, that's the one you got to get, Willie, dude, when you head over there. Because I know you're still thinking about it. You got to do the yoga near the, near the, the blue toxic lake. Now, funny enough, people, they went for a dip. They didn't uh, know the warning. Now, look, I don't want anyone getting hurt. I'm not into that. I don't want anyone getting hurt, Will. So the pe but the people took a dip, and they got all kinds of uh, infections, vomiting, diarrhea, prolonged exposure. They ingested toxins, skin irritations, rashes, and so forth. And apparently, it's a World War II-era tungsten mine that leaked a bunch of hazardous chemical waste into this region. And it was used to produce iron manganese tungstate for craft light bulb filament. Oh. So, so it sounds to me like a refreshing afternoon. <laughs> hey, Will, just mm. get the umbrella out, put a little tanning oil on, mm. and, uh, and uh, take a dip in some tungsten manganese mm. filament. <laughs> oh, God. The old one piece swimsuit. Yeah, so the people they all got sick. 
And uh, but, but apparently it hasn't stopped people from showing up because the, the, the photos, the Instagram photos are just too hot. They're too hot. They're too good. People are putting up with the skin irritation to a certain degree. Maybe they need some more warnings. Uh, it does look like, to be fair, a lot of the images are people standing near the Blue Lake and not in it. The first one at the top that Will was just showing off is the dude. He's, he's diving right in. <laughs> so he's got the rash. Yeah. He's got all that stuff going on. But what's the moral of the story, Willie Do? Um, don't be an influencer <laughs> here. Uh, you know. Moral of the story uh, is not all that glitters is gold. You see that? It's, it, this is the perfect kind of metaphor for social media. That like all that looks pretty and beautiful deep down is probably toxic. You see how I did that there, Will? Hmm. At its core, that beautiful blue ocean being represented to you via social media. If you investigate, if you sniff around, if you've got the headlights on, like I said, there's probably some World War II era tungsten manganese down below. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen. Take a look for it. It's out there. What they're trying to sell you ain't what it actually is. That's a social media lesson right there for everybody, not just those taking a dip and getting a rash. Last one for me. You didn't even know this, Will, and you definitely should have. A city killer asteroid just missed Earth. If you needed a reminder to let you know that you were floating on a rock right now. Did you know that, Will? You. Right now. Me. Yeah, yeah. Where are you? Where are you? Rock in space. Yeah, yeah. Rock in space. Will, get with it. Think about it. Is this the actual asteroid? What a time to be alive, Willie Duke. <laughs> this is a... Oh. Uh... It snuck up on us. A city killer asteroid just missed Earth. And scientists almost didn't detect it in time. This, they're calling it Asteroid 2019. <laughs> what an original name. Apparently, scientists missed it. It, it, it's, it's, it snuck up, Will. It, it passed 73,000 kilometers near Earth. Snuck around. Which is closer to our planet than the moon. It's about halfway to the moon, apparently, oh, according to this article. That's close, dude. Mm. And the reason, I mean, so this one is about 100 meters wide, they said. Which, believe it or not, in asteroid land is not that big. I mean, it's big, like, it's damaging. But we're tracking ones, apparently. Not we. Like, I don't do it. I don't. No. I mean, it would be a cool job. It would be a cool job tracking those asteroids. But they're tracking ones that are much larger than that. But, but surprisingly, even one that's 100 meters wide, it brings with it so much force that it can do just a, a, tremendous damage that mm -hmm. you could never imagine. Which is why... In order to put it in a human reference point, they're calling this particular one a city killer because they believe the effects of this landing on planet Earth would be similar to that of like a nuclear explosion. Mm. That's how much force it would bring with it. And so the thinking here is like, hey, how do we miss that? Because we may have come up with a plan had we seen it sooner, but it snuck in there because these, these ones around this size are hard to spot, apparently, prior to them to them reaching. Now, more than 90% of asteroids, which are a kilometer or larger, 
have been identified by NASA. So they keep tabs on those ones. They're like, yeah, they tag it. Those are like world killers. Those are like dinosaur extinction level asteroids. But these ones could still mess some stuff up in a big way. Mm -hmm. And they're saying they need a, a better plan for tracking those, those kinds of potential threats floating around in space. But like, what a wake up call. You read something like this, Will? Mm -hmm. I mean, you realize how sensitive the whole thing, what? what? A giant rock? 100 meters? City killer? There's tons of them in space. Guy like you, you're walking around. You got the, you got one of these Starbucks. You got Otis on the leash. Guy like you, just walking around just walking out there. Walking around happy. And then yeah, the sun is shining. Woo! City killer. Willie do flattened like a pancake. Mm -hmm. Am I right? Yeah. So apparently we haven't seen something this close in a very long time and definitely not been hit with one in a very long time as well. Uh, he stressed Duffy, the expert, stressed the importance of investing in a global dedicated approach to detecting asteroids because sooner or later there's one with our name on it. It's just a matter of when, not if. Mm -hmm. So it's going to happen. We're going to get hit. We're going to be dinosaurs at some point, eventually. Not that I thought it would be any different than that, but this thing, uh, it's packing a lot of power. I think there's a cool sentence here about just how much power. Oh, here we go. In 2013, a significantly smaller meteor, 20 meters across, this one was 100, which is the size of a six-story building, broke up over a Russian city and unleashed an intense shockwave. Collapsed roofs, injured around 1,200 people. The last rock strike to, to Earth similar in size to this asteroid that just missed was more than a century ago, and it leveled 2,000 square kilometers of forest. So, again, I mean, look, the thing has to hit a city to be a problem. Go ahead, land in a forest. Well, I mean, yeah. don't do that either, but you're going to— We have a lot of ocean. It's still damaging. I think the ocean, though, would cause, might cause us— Ripples? It might cause yeah, a tsunami. A huge wave, yeah. A big wave. Yeah. That's what a tsunami means. Big wave. Can yeah. I get a definition of tsunami? I want a real one-to-one -one Japanese definition. Like not, I don't want a big storm. A long, high sea wave caused by an earthquake. Submarine landslide or other disturbance. Okay, we can have a tsunami. Thank you very much for that, Will. Hmm. If this was to hit, this is, and I quote... It would have gone off like a very large nuclear weapon with enough force to destroy a city. Many megatons, perhaps in the ballpark of 10 megatons of TNT. Something not to be messed with. What you know about 10 megatons, Willie, dude? You don't know enough. Let me tell you something. You get hit with 10 megatons. All I need is one megaton, really. <laughs> uh, that'll be enough. <laughs> Oh man, it just doesn't that sound powerful? A megaton, mm -hmm. megaton of anything. Yeah, that's a. I think it's more. What what's the cartoon with the Roadrunner? Does he have? Does he? Well, how heavy is his anvil when he drops it on the Roadrunner? Wiley Coyote, a ton. I think it was a ton. A ton. Yeah. It should have been a megaton. New version of it. He's riding an asteroid all the way into the cartoon. Anyway, uh, it's amazing. This type of stuff it just puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Well. It's just it does, you yeah. think your stuff matters. You walk around on a day-to-day -day basis. My stuff is so important. I'm so emotional. 
I got all these things, all these problems going on. Then a rock floats past you that could wallop the entire thing. And you're like, oh, yeah, right. Those things exist. Oh, yeah, right. We're on a rock. Right. This whole thing is bananas to begin with. We're talking and communicating in many languages. We're on a computer right now. You're watching a show through a computer. We used to be this guy right here. Will's showing a picture of a chimpanzee. So, well, I mean, not, maybe not him exactly. But he seems like a cool guy. It's all so, uh, so crazy. But I, I hear this news and it puts things in perspective for me. I have a little, uh, I feel relaxed knowing that everything's bananas and you can only control so many things. And you cannot control when that rock hits with all those megatons. Mm-hmm. All right, Will, what is it? You want to hit me with something? I can feel it. I feel the vibes coming over there. And we're getting to that point where you just hit me with the thing. So what do you got? Just got a question. You're here. jumping out of your seat over there. Uh, hey, guys. Greetings from Indonesia. My question for you is if you can travel back in time. To Didn't see we do this already, Will? Story. No. Okay, we're going yeah. only back. And this right. is a, a moment, in a historic moment. Oh, okay. Um, what would you do? What would you want? So to a see? very so a specific moment. In yeah, time. I had to like pick a like pick a, a minute, pick an hour. Mm-hmm. Wow. Let's just say an hour, just an hour of your time. I got to pick an hour of my time. Go to a specific moment. Ah, uh, you see, to come up with these off the top. Top of your head. Doesn't have to be. And you gotta crazy. nail the exact moment in history. Ah. Well, we were just talking about asteroids. We were just talking about asteroids. I want the space. I want the space race, baby. I want uh, Neil Armstrong landing on the moon. I want to. I want to be sitting. I want to be sitting around a terrible-looking TV with an ice cream cone. Mm. You understand? And I want to. I want to see. I want to see that footage being broadcast when it came out. I want to see the flag standing there all stiff. I want to feel what that's like to go, damn, this thing is bigger. You know? But I want to be a kid at that moment, too, because then I'm optimistic. It's all open-mindedness. There's no problems. I can I can experience it freely. I want to be like, I'm going to be like 10 years old. Uh, so you believe in that? Oh, my God. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Yeah, you want this is why you brought this question. You knew I'd go that path, and then you go that path, and all of a sudden we're looking at footage here and we're talking about Stanley Kubrick and, yeah. and everything else. No, we're not going down that path, Will. That's where I'm gonna be. I wanna see that happen live. I wanna feel, I wanna feel the scale. That's why Elon Musk is all obsessed. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, we didn't have a chance to really feel what that was, that's a different type of that exploration is like everything. It's the origin, it's what's out there, it's 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 human exploration. Like I think about that sometimes too. When they found, when they started to explore and hop on those ships and look for new land, and they thought the Earth was flat. That's what. Yeah. Coming up on some coming up on some landmass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's check that out. <laughs> yeah, let's check that out. Oh, they. What is this thing? That's a coffee bean. Check that out. You see that? Mm-hmm. Incredible. What that time would have been like electric when that flag goes into the moon electric will he do so anyway we're alive right now and this is a time in and of itself Mm -hmm. so what a time as i said previously to be alive because we are alive 
And if you're alive right now, you are too.